By sending Jesus, God has done what it took to get you back into relationship with him. And then the gospel asks us the question, will you receive what he's done for you? I don't know if you are yet the, uh, the praying type, but uh, I'm going to pray before we take a look at the Bible together. Father God, having sung about your love and forgiveness, please show us how we can know those things personally through the gospel of Jesus. Amen. A friend of mine uh, visited uh, a church in Africa where the energy levels were considerably higher than our service tonight. And when it came to this bit, the sermon, there were regular cries of amen and uh, preach it, brother. And at one point where he lost his train of thought, help him, Lord, help him. Um, so can I just say, if at any point you feel I need help tonight, it would encourage me more if you could just think that um, rather, than, rather than say it. Uh, well, a big, big thank you again to uh, Anna and Jonathan and uh, the choir for tonight. I don't know what kind of music you are into, but there is a bewildering variety out there about which most of us don't have a clue. So, for example, if you think that garage is what they play at petrol stations or that uh, hip-hop is for dancing to on one leg, you need to think again. And uh, I only have to mention trance, electro house, ska, grunge and dubstep to leave most of you completely out of your depth, along with me. But mention gospel. And straight away, most people know what you are talking about, that you are talking about music inspired by the Christian message. And the word gospel just means good news, news of what someone has done that is good for you. So if you have a mortgage like I do and Mervyn King cuts the interest rates, that is gospel. If you're a student and your dad makes an emergency bank transfer, that is gospel. The first Christians called their message the gospel because they were absolutely convinced that what Jesus did was for the ultimate good of every single one of us. They were convinced that he was God's son come into this world to do what it took to get us back in relationship with God. And that is why Christians sing like we have done tonight. Gladys Aylward, you almost certainly haven't heard of, was a missionary in China and she went basically where no Christian had ever been before in a kind of uh, Star Trek kind of way and um, she persuaded a local doctor to be her guide and they got into a region that became more and more uninhabited and at one point she just stopped, she prayed for guidance, then she sat down, she sang some Christian songs and up out of nowhere popped this Lama priest. And he said, I want you to come to my Lamasery, my monastery, which is a totally unheard of invitation to any foreigner at all. And in her autobiography, she says this, I hesitated, but he said, we have waited a long time for you to come and talk to us about the God who loves. So she said, we followed him. We were escorted into a courtyard where 500 lamas sat. We were, uh, those are priests, not animals. Um, <laughs> we were seated in the middle and I wondered what I should do next. And my doctor guide said, 
sing. So I sang a Christian song, and then he explained it. He told them about the baby born at Bethlehem and the Savior who died on Calvary. Now sing again, he said. So I sang and he talked. I sang and he talked long into the night. And then the llamas came to me in pairs, always asking the same two questions. Will you please explain why he died and how it is he could love me? Finally, she was led into the presence of the head llama. And she said, why, against all tradition and protocol, did you allow me into your monastery and he took out this tattered little leaflet with a Bible verse in it, John 3, 16. For God so loved this world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And he said that on a trip away, one of the uh, lamas had been given this leaflet along with a couple of uh, copies of the Gospels, and they hadn't been able to make head or tail of them at all. He said, we've been waiting for someone to come along and explain what this is all about. And he said, we knew that you were the person because only people who know the God who loves will sing like that. Only people who know the God who loves will sing like that. And that's right. Christians do, I know that you can go to some churches where it's like a funeral every Sunday, but Christians do sing like no other religion because they've got what no other religion gives. What other religions will give you, basically, is rules. Do this, this, and that, and God will accept you, or nirvana will come if you do it well enough. Whereas the gospel says, done. It says, you've actually made yourself unacceptable to God by ignoring him uh, and living in a whole lot of ways that you know are not right. But by sending Jesus, God has done what it took to get you back into relationship with him. And then the gospel asks us the question, will you receive what he's done for you? And then the rest of the time, I just want to explain what Jesus has done by his death and resurrection and what it's got to do with us today. I want to do that by looking back at the second reading we had from Luke's Gospel. So it's on page five of the service sheet. If you could just dig that out. Um, and let me read again from the start of that reading. So it's at the bottom of page five and, and then flips over to page six. So this is Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Crucifixion was the Roman Empire's worst punishment for the worst crimes, like terrorism and murder. And these two criminals were getting what they deserved for what they'd done, Whereas Jesus was not there for anything he'd done, he was there for what he'd said, which was that he was God's son and the rightful ruler of every single one of us. And that claim then, like now, went down like a lead balloon. I have an older brother called Neil. He's uh, a senior executive in Vodafone, so if you have a tariff with them. Thank you very much for subsidizing my birthday presents and Christmas presents. He's a generous man. He's a great guy. He doesn't share my faith in Jesus. And uh, on one occasion, I, um, I said to him, in fact, we were coming back from our grandmother's funeral. I said to him, 
I've never really asked you this before. Do you really believe that God is there? He said, yeah, I'm definite about that. And I said, so if it could be true that Jesus has made him knowable, wouldn't you want to look into that? And he said, um, no, not really. I said, do you mind my asking why not? And he said, I guess I just don't want him interfering in my life. And if we are honest, which my brother is, deep down that is the natural attitude of every one of us, isn't it? And at one level, that's the reason Jesus died on the cross. He came as God's son and the rightful ruler of all of us, and the Jewish rulers did not want that to be true in their lives, and so they got him crucified to get rid of him, or so they thought. So if you look down to verse 35, it says... The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. So from their point of view, it was game, set and match. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. Hop, you know, hop off the cross. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Brackets, ha ha. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. So heavy, heavy sarcasm. So you're the son of God, are you? You're our rightful ruler, are you? So what are you doing up there on the cross? Does that not rather undermine your claim? There's one person here who does see who Jesus really is. Look on to verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked the first one. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he's saying, I don't believe this man has done or said anything wrong. I believe he is who he said he is. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. So somehow he's twigged that Jesus is about to go through death into his heavenly kingdom. And he's saying, look, when you get there and when I catch up with you, remember me with favor. Remember, we, remember me with mercy. And this is where it gets offensive because look at what happens next. Verse 43, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. In other words, I will bring you through death after me, and it won't be to face my judgment, it'll be to face my welcome. Does that offend you? It's like someone I know was a chaplain in the Mays prison in Northern Ireland, and he saw a number of convicted IRA men come to lasting, transforming faith in Jesus. And uh, this person I know received hate mail and death threats because people could not stomach the idea that people like that could be accepted by God. And I think if we're offended by Jesus accepting this criminal or any other criminal, it's because it blows away our favorite religious false idea, and that is that if you're good enough, God will accept you. But this shows that that is clearly not the basis of God accepting anyone. And in fact, what Jesus taught over and over was that the only way in which you or I will be accepted by God is on the basis of forgiveness. Because if you compare yourself 
honestly with his standards of goodness in the Bible, then you will reach the conclusion that you are not good enough and that you never can be. And only if he accepts you on the basis of the forgiveness of all that is bad is there any chance of relationship with him. And at the deepest level, that's the reason Jesus died on the cross, to pay for our forgiveness. You see, imagine this hand stands for you or me, and the light up there stands for God. And the Bible says we've all failed to do what God wants of us because in our hearts we've all turned away from God. As my brother so brilliantly put it, I don't want him interfering in my life. Now imagine that this black file over here is the record of, of everything wrong that I've ever done or ever will do. In other words, everything that God should hold against me at the end of the day. And the question is, how can God forgive that? How can he remove all of that sin, as the Bible calls it, and the judgment that it deserves? You see, let's put it over there. But then God is open to the accusation of, well, what are you doing with it? Are you just saying that right and wrong don't matter? You're just saying, let's put it over there, let's forget it. Six million through the gas chambers, let's forget it. All the wrong you've ever done, let's forget it. Now the question is, how can God forgive this on the one hand and be just on the other hand? Well, the Bible says this is how. Imagine now that this other hand stands for Jesus. God's son, come down to our level as a human being and living the only perfect life that's ever been lived. And that's what that second criminal said, isn't it? He said, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then you ask the question, so what was Jesus doing there on the cross? And there is another verse of the Bible that says, he bore our sins in his body on the cross. In other words, he was taking on himself responsibility for what we've done wrong, the judgment for what we've done wrong, so that we could be forgiven our sins and justice still be done on our sins. And that's why God caused that darkness to come over the crucifixion scene in the middle of that day. And if you were here in July in Newcastle, for the storm of a lifetime, you will have no problem believing in darkness at midday because you saw it, didn't you? And God caused it on this particular occasion as a sign that Jesus wasn't dying on the, under any human judgment. The human side of it was a total farce. Jesus was dying under a, a God judgment in our place. And the gospel is, very simply, that God loved you enough to give his son to do that and his son loved you enough to be willing to go along with it so that you could be forgiven whatever you need forgiving and come back into relationship with him. And the lovely thing about this story is that this criminal plays us all on side, doesn't he? We don't know exactly what he did, but it was in the region of terrorism or murder. And the point is, if Jesus could forgive him, Jesus could forgive anybody. Jesus can forgive you, whoever you are, whatever you've done. But, how do you know that's all true? 
How do you know that's really what happened? That it, it really was the Son of God dying there and he really was dying under the judgment for your and my sins. The answer is because of what happened next. Because what happened next after Jesus' death and burial on Good Friday, Skip Saturday, Easter Sunday, his tomb was found empty except of the grave clothes, and then he was seen alive on repeated occasions by multiple witnesses. Now, I realize you may still need to look into the evidence for that in the Bible, as Jonathan was saying in that interview, but that is the evidence that says that Jesus did rise from the dead and therefore was no mere human being but the Son of God. And that then means that his death could have been no ordinary death. If he was the Son of God, he didn't have anything wrong of his own to pay for at the end of the day. And so the only thing that makes sense of his death on the cross is that he was there for what you did wrong and what I did wrong. And his resurrection was the sign that he had finished paying for forgiveness in full. Done. So just imagine you've taken me out for a meal in a restaurant and embarrassingly you've forgotten to bring any means of payment. And I don't have any money on me because I assumed that you were paying and so to sort of smooth things over, I call the manager over and I say, look, we don't have any money on us, either of us, but uh, would you agree to me doing the washing up um, for the rest of the night so that um, that will basically pay for the meal? And he agrees. So I toddle off, I disappear between the, uh, uh, the swing doors of the kitchen. The question is, how do you know when I finish paying and you're free to walk? And the answer is when I reappear through the swing doors. And it's very simple. On Good Friday, Jesus, if I can put it like this, disappeared behind the swing doors of death to pay for everything that needed paying for. And on Easter Sunday, he reappeared through the swing doors to say, finished, done. You can walk free. And to show that he really is God's son and our rightful king. And that is the gospel. That is what Jesus has done for you. And like I said at the start, the gospel leaves every single one of us with the question, will you receive what he's done for you? Have you received what he's done for you? Or will you just continue to say, I don't want you interfering in my life? Just imagine that I could draw a line of where everyone in this building tonight stands in relation to Jesus, in relation to the gospel. At one end, there will be those who can say, pretty much like Jonathan said earlier, um, I have received this for myself. I know I'm forgiven. I'm trying, albeit imperfectly, to live for Jesus. And beyond this life, I know I'm going to be with him in heaven. If you can say that, there is nothing better to be able to say in this life. On the other hand, at the other end of the line, there'll be those who are saying, um, I can't say any of that. I don't even know. Uh, that any of this is true. I'm, I'm way back. And if that's you, can I say, do please keep coming. Do please keep looking into the gospel and questioning the gospel until you've made your mind up about it one way or another. And our Christianity Explored groups are, are ideal if that's you. But maybe tonight you are somewhere in the middle. And you know it's true. You've, you've crossed that bridge. That is behind you. But you know you haven't yet responded to Jesus. That's a bridge ahead of you. You've not 
turned to Jesus and like that second criminal said, look, I do recognize you as God and as my rightful king. Please forgive me and accept me. I want to start again. And I want to end with a prayer which you could use if you know you need to do that and you want to do that tonight. Let me read it out first um, so that you can decide if it would be appropriate for you. I'm just going to pray this. Father in heaven, thank you for your love in sending your son to die for me. Please forgive me and please come into my life by your spirit and help me to live for you as my king from now on. Now, I realize you may be much further back than that, and I don't want to put pressure on anyone here to do anything. Or you may be much further ahead, um, and you, you don't have to restart being a Christian. You just need to keep relying on the same forgiveness for the same relationship. But if you do want to respond to the gospel, if you do want to start life over again with God in his rightful place, then as I say this prayer, Lead us in this prayer. You could echo it in your head uh, to God. So let's bow our heads to pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your love in sending your son to die for me. Please forgive me. And please come into my life by your spirit. And help me live for you as king from now on. Amen.